In this video, I have the chance to talk to Ben Jordan. And if you've never heard of Ben, he releases music under the name The Flashbulb. He has 145,000 monthly listeners and 43,000 followers on Spotify. He has 70,000 subscribers on YouTube where he talks about music-related content. He's been signed to labels. He's done tours, festivals. He's released music and composed for TV and film. And he's also done uh, advertising work. He has a ton of music. He's been living off of it. Forever. And he's also just a really cool guy. This was a really fun conversation. So I hope you really enjoy this video. It was fun to be able to pick his brain on this stuff. And yeah, see ya. I'm Ben Jordan. Um, I've released music for about 20 years, well, more than that, 20 some years as the Flashbulb, uh, which is sort of kind of uh, genre wise all over the place, um, but has like some electronic inspiration, has jazz inspiration behind it. Uh, I've done it all. I've toured. Um, I've composed for uh, television and commercials for many, many years. Did that. Um, now I'm a YouTuber and uh, I sort of, my beginning of YouTube was kind of just applying some knowledge and skill that I've acquired throughout my career and as a hobby almost. And then the pandemic happened and I canceled, you know, like I had something like 20 some odd tentative tour dates that just went out the window and i was like well i have a youtube channel and i kept going with that and now i'm moving on to more like sciencey things and um places where i actually want to be in youtube and you know kind of like keep pushing the bar higher and higher and seeing yeah. where it takes me and now i'm here on this channel <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah and and so um the, the originally when I, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I started watching your channel a couple of years back when I saw mm -hmm. your, your Arturia video. Um, and then like up until right before I, I hit you up, I, I thought yeah. you were, I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but just a YouTuber, quote unquote. You know, I didn't know yeah, that yeah. you, you also had like, I mean, you were like signed to a label. You have your own sort of label thing now. You have like 150,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. You've toured, you've done festivals. Um, yeah. And so you've done a lot of cool stuff. So I thought you'd be a pretty cool, uh, I guess you'd, you'd be a, like a great person to just kind of pick your brain and kind of learn, I guess, one, how you kind of get started in, in actually taking mu your music seriously as a, you know, as mm -hmm. like a business. Um, yeah. And then aside from the music stuff and how you've kind of grown that over the years, also how you have transitioned to YouTube and because you have a channel of like almost 70,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you've also done a great job of like infusing your, your personal, your like your personality into everything you do, which is cool. Like on Twitter, it's always great seeing all your your spicy takes on things, uh, or not necessarily even spicy takes, but oh, I'm bitchy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bitchy man. Yeah. It's it's great, like just seeing the post and then people's reactions sometimes. And um, yeah, and yeah. So, anyways, I, I I think a good place to start is kind of like when did you get into music and like how do you start taking it seriously and what was the kind of growth phase that kicked it off. Yeah. So I got, I was into music when I was like five or six. Um, I never got, I never had lessons or anything, but I really wanted a guitar at a state fair that my grandfather brought me to and he got it for yeah. me. And then um, I remember seeing Buddy Rich on the Muppets and that was like the first music that I was like, Oh, I want to be that guy, that drummer guy. I want to be him, but I had a guitar and I was totally okay playing the guitar, but um, so I, my grandfather at the same time, I'm from South Chicago. And so my, it, jazz was like a big part of, you know, the community at the time growing up. Um, 
also I'm 41. So like this is we're oh really like yeah yeah we're talking like the early early 80s here. This is this unrelated, but um, I thought you were like 35 or something. So I guess oh you, well, you, you look young for your age. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and so I got uh, yeah, so I was really into jazz. Um, then I got into a you know I was in a couple different bands. It seemed like at that point the only bands I could really be in were like rock and metal bands and i kind of you know was just more of a virtuoso with all the instruments like or i wanted to be i was just way more masturbatory i guess is the way that you would look at it from like a general genreless perspective is i was way more masturbatory than everybody else and so finally i just got a drum machine and then uh my first instinct was well i'm gonna program this drum machine to play things that buddy rich can't even play to play (laughs) things that like i haven't even heard from the jazz world and so the yeah. DR660, I think, was the first drum machine I had, and you could turn quantization off and then go in the step mode. And so I was able to like program these really crazy, which would now be like referred to as like snare rushes or drills or something like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was my music style. Like yeah, yeah. at this time, you know, just just <laughs> really batshit insane music. Um, and that got, you know, and, and then I started, you know, somebody told me about Aphex Twin and other things. And I started, you know, I, over in England, you had this whole scene going on and uh, Venetian snares in the U.S. Like, at, I think at one time, me and him were kind of like the two, like, IDM musicians on mp3.com. And, uh, yeah, and then just toured and grinded for a really long time. Um, then got into composing ad composing stuff like that because i still i'm still very musical i've always been like a very yeah. on the electronic music spectrum i've always been on the very like melodic spectrum yeah. in one way did or you other. say um, ad composing yeah yeah um oh, okay like television composing in general and then ad yeah. composing i i really I, I mean i hate it but i also <laughs> like it uh i don't really do it yeah. much anymore i had but, a, um, i had tommy z on the channel a couple of weeks ago i don't know if you ever heard mm-hmm. of heard of him yeah yeah i'm um, familiar with him yeah but yeah, it was just kind of funny. I'd never even heard of this kind of making music for ads until him. And then it's just oh, funny, yeah. funny hearing you bring it up too, because it sounds like it's like a pretty giant industry. It like, was. Um, I think it definitely was. Uh, it, it's had like, so So here's a really good example. And I, I don't want to like name agencies here, but I worked for a composing agency. And uh, I kept, I, I wrote a pitch for them, like an investment idea after working for them for so many years where I was like, I was, I was living in South Chicago at the time and I went out, I, I flew out to like have a meeting with them. And I was like, all right, hey, uh, I, I think that, that this is, I watched my mom use a TiVo to get to go past advertisements. And at that point, I decided that like, this isn't my future because this industry is going to collapse and in the yeah. function that it is right, you know, the way it functions right now is going to be different. Right. And the budgets, music and sound as always in every industry, everything, they always, they always get the shit on the stick. And so we're gonna lose our budgets first before, you know, before the editor loses his. Yeah. Or, or for or, the actor or whatever. Right, yeah, and so, um, yeah, and they weren't interested, but I had this whole plan. I was like, we should move south because you can buy a mansion at the time. <laughs> you could buy a mansion in Atlanta, for yeah. example, or in, uh, you know, one of these cities. And I used Atlanta as just this broad example, not, you know, not having any actual intentions of Atlanta being the place. And then I was like, we can uh, basically have it be a game composing uh, studio. So, like, 
and I used, for example, Gearbox as an example at that time. Yeah. And I was like, Gearbox, they don't have their own huge audio department like Activision does. So, but at the same time, so they're always like hiring out all these different freelancers and we could just manage that and have one big post-production house and have an audio developer and have this. And so hmm. wrote out this big plan and, the, and they, they were like, nah, nah, we're good with advertising. And I was like, all right, fine. And weirdly enough, like five years later, just not as part of that plan, but I just sort of ended up moving to Atlanta or, uh, you know, north of Atlanta. Um, a, not Gearbox, but a very similar game company. I ended up like being hired as, you know, literally doing what I said I would do, but like without yeah. their money and without them <laughs> you know, profiting off of it. Um, and, and yeah, and so, uh, to, but to answer your question better, um, it was lucrative and and it was you could make a living doing it and i, I made yeah. it a good living doing it for a couple of years like like where the money was actually like really good um but it's it's it was its own world you know it was like sort of a mix between like what you would expect from like mad men and now where it's like you know it's, i guess uh a little bit more modern obviously hmm. um a lot of a lot of people like running old Pro Tools rigs, like you know, just a lot of things that like a lot of dumb, dumb decisions studio wise. But yeah. uh, I liked how it felt like boot camp because you would get a lot of jobs. They'd have really crazy turnaround times, and you'd have to. They'd be like, "Oh, we need you know a 1920s swing turning into you know uh, blazing guitar solos, and then turning into you know hip hop for the ending, and it all has to be on cue." And yeah. then, you know, and we need this in, you know, 24 hours and you just be like, Jesus. okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then it was out of your hair, which I liked because when I was younger, I was always like, I want to compose for film, but film, a film score takes six months. And like, I don't want to work on somebody else's project for that long unless I'm being like really, really paid well for it. Yeah. And advertising. It's just, yeah, quicker. It's out of your hair. And then you get to work on whatever you want. And what this is building up to is as the flashbulb, the you know, part of my career that I actually really enjoyed doing, um, it, writing for ads, it, people like a lot of people would, you know, be like, well, that's kind of a sellout and this and that. But to me, it was like totally the opposite because I was able to have enough money to where I just didn't give a shit what anybody thought about my <laughs> album. I got to do whatever I want in my albums. And yeah. I stopped reading reviews. I stopped reading people's opinions and I just did whatever I wanted to. And I feel like that's, you could see the evolution of my music like evolve in its own unique way as a result of that. Yeah. And so in a weird way, yeah, the selling out kind of allowed me to be more artistic because. That's actually the same thing uh, Tommy said about it. He said a lot of people yeah. will say it's like selling out, but yeah. he said it, it gives you you know, you're, you're making, you know, you're essentially making a living or at least a part of your living from your music and sure. it frees you up financially to actually do whatever you want. And, um, yeah. And as long as your ears can handle that much audio work, which, <laughs> which is like, you know, like yeah. it, it, it's a weird way to put it, but like, you know, your ears get tired after yeah. being in session all day and stuff. And some people seem to experience that a lot worse than others. And I, I guess I don't like I, as of right now, even I probably work 14, 14 plus hours a day. So it's, oh, damn. yeah, I just, all I do is work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too, but it's, it's not all, uh, it's not all music. 
Um, yeah. At least, at least not like things where I need my ears to work decent. Um, so I haven't. Yeah. I've had that happen before. I mean, um, like periods where I'm like mi- mixing and mastering like an, an album. Oh, yeah. um, and you just you want to get it done in, in a reasonable time to deliver to either your band or for a client. And mm-hmm. so you even, you know, working like three hours in a row. I just need a break, you know, I'd like, yeah. a, I'd like a half an hour break to just kind of reset your ears. And then at some point I would kind of rely on, um, to kind of push myself a little further. I'd rely on some of those metering tools you can have, you know, like Isotope has all those kind of, um, audio spectrum tools and, and yeah. loudness tools. And those kind of help you kind of push a little further. Obviously you can't blindly trust them, but, um, no, yeah. I'm, Hey, I've thought about doing a video comparing some of those and stuff. Cause I, I think that they are pretty great. Like they give you good suggestions to like start yeah. with. It's almost like, you know, they find you the preset you would find on a synth and then you tune it to like, you're yeah. almost kind of like that. Yeah. And, and if your ears are kind of spent for the day, but you still want to work a little more, it's a kind of a good way to uh, be productive without, um, I guess, wasting your time, you know, like be, yeah. being able to do something that's actually remotely useful. <laughs> I, I've noticed that like moving to uh, semi-open or open-ended earphones uh or your monitors like those have those have helped a lot too like just if i'm just doing something like video editing where i don't have where it doesn't have to be like perfect or something but those yeah because it you know just kind of feels like you have air (laughs) yeah it's not like your ears are in a vacuum or something yeah i have the sennheiser hd 650s and and these are like completely open you can see yeah yeah. and they they're they're really nice like Mm -hmm. like you wear them all day and you don't really kind of you don't feel that like I don't know, almost air bubble around your ears kind of effect yeah. if you're wearing uh, clothes backs. I kind of feel that in, in this room. <laughs> like I made this room too good in terms of like, 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 I mean, it wasn't because of my skill. I think I just got really lucky with like making this room dead and EQ'd about as good as it gets in, in a studio. Yeah. Room. And yeah, and it's kind of like stepping into a vacuum. Like it's, it's pretty... <laughs> It gets rough. Um, I kind of, I'm like, man, I kind of wish I just <laughs> left a wall bare. So you adds a little bit of reverb in there. <laughs> yeah. 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 But. So, uh, you know, jumping back to, to your music project, uh, mm-hmm. the flashbulb. Yeah. Currently you're at, you know, 150,000 monthly listeners, 43,000 followers. Um, and you mentioned you did tours and stuff, but I, I guess like at what point did, did you you kind of start realizing that your music on itself was going well? You know, like, what was was there a certain thing you did to kind of get your name out there, or was it just, you know, starting with shows and just kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Did you did you have like a manager? Did you have a marketing partner or? or? So, um, I, I, it's weird. Like my my <laughs> my my brand of advice is is kind of it comes from a weird place, I think, because, um, I, I, I've always been like, like even starting out in the beginning of my career, like when I was, you know, 18 or something, when I was like first playing shows outside of the area I lived in and and first, like, you know, that I would, I would say I was like 19 or 20 when I first like toured across the United States. Right. Yeah. And so, even at that time, I feel like I feel like one big differentiator for me was that most artists uh, have this like understanding that like they're going to have to play for free to get their name out and they're going to have to do this. 
and I don't know if I can swear on your stream or not. Yeah, yeah go for it. it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would just be like, fuck that. No, I'm not yeah. doing it. And, you know, in nine times out of 10, they'd be like, well, then he's not playing. And then it'd be, you know, that'd be it. But it, I felt like one time out of 10, somebody would be like, oh, this guy knows his value. He's probably really good. We'll put him on yeah. right before the headliner, you know, <laughs> and we'll give him $200 or, you know, whatever it was. And I think a lot of that just like comes from coming from South Chicago. Like I was just like, okay, I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> it's weird to say now, but like, I am a bit of a hood rat. Like I'm just, and, and so I, I think just having, and that comes off in my channel, like you mentioned earlier, like I have this, this causticness of, of the way I speak and, and address people on Twitter and things like that, because like a huge part of me doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and like, I just can't, I can't like take the bullshit. And so yeah, that, to an independent musician at, at the beginning is really difficult because I had a lot of friends and a lot of peers who had, who had like relationships with record labels and distributors who were like taking all of their income out of their pockets, but they were being like pushed really high and they were, yeah. uh, they were being marketed really, really well. And I was always sort of placed beneath them in the weird pecking order of, you know, who's the most popular artist this year out of in this tiny genre or something. Yeah. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I was always making more than they were. And I was always like coming home with more money. And I was always, and this continued into the Spotify world where, you know, not then all of a sudden everything, you know, I had amassed all these albums and I didn't, I didn't do much press at the time and I didn't do much stuff, but yet I was making way more off Spotify than like other people were. Yeah. And I think again, it was just like, I don't take shitty deals. Like I just don't. And I don't, I, I, I don't have loss aversion to them. I don't say like, Oh no, what if what like South <laughs> by Southwest is a great example. Like I can't, I don't understand how anybody could play that. I got, I got offered to play Coachella um, for, oh, for, yeah, I got offered uh, a gig what I it was like on the table I like either right before Bjork one year or like year before and it was like you know at a point in my career where I was like where that was really appealing yeah um and they offered they didn't offer enough to even cover my flight there and back and and I was like no and they're like excuse me and I was like no <laughs> like that's like your Coachella dude like give me a thousand dollars like yeah you know? <laughs> even like a thousand dollars would seem kind of weak for like freaking Coachella you know oh yeah it's sure like a gigantic I mean, gotten me there and back right but they yeah. were just like no we'll give you free tickets to your own show and uh <laughs> here's you know like two hundred dollars and and we'll yeah so I, I, I bet you 99 percent of any artist who was offered that would yeah. do it would they would pay four hundred dollars oh, yeah. to them to sure. do it absolutely and my and my girlfriend at the time was just like you're out of your mind like you just turned down the offer of lifetime it's like but think about it they want me to play on a friday night before bjork at a festival where people aren't coming home until sunday night or monday morning nobody's yeah. gonna remember who i am people aren't gonna be like writing down on a tablet like you know i mean yeah. maybe there might be like a small subset of people but no everybody's gonna be fucked up and all they care about is bjork <laughs> that's why they're there <laughs> so like yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see why people, I can kind of, I can see your perspective, but I can also see the people who would do its perspective. You know, it is, it is essentially like if you're, if you're smaller than the artist you're opening for, it is like free marketing that you're getting paid very badly to get, but at least it's free, free marketing. But then the other side of it is like, you know, for a fact, they're taking advantage of you. Like yeah. when you agree to that, you're agreeing to be taken advantage of in exchange for, you know, yeah. um, I guess promotion in a way, but 
Yeah, and and I guess in a weird way it was like, because uh, I mean that's happened with a lot of opening things where I've just been like, no, I'm not going to like take a huge pay cut just because it's like in front of a big act. I, I yeah, that precedent just doesn't doesn't resolve with me. But then when I have opened for so so if you like were to go over like a big ledger of like all of my live performances, you'd see me headlining way sooner than I should have been simply because I didn't want to open for other people at the pay they were giving me. But when when I did tour with other artists that were especially ones that were a lot bigger than me, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan is a great example. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah, love yeah. I, I love Dillinger with, Escape Plan. Yeah, I toured with them for a while. I'm still good friends with Ben Weinman and, and oh, Dick wow. Greg. And, yeah. That must have been a um, weird concert. I mean, because they're like math core. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> I was a little freaking out, but they um they paid me they paid me totally fairly. They they you know, Ben Ben Weinman was just like, No, I love your stuff. We want you on the tour. It's gonna be weird. We're gonna make it work. We support you one hundred percent. Uh, then, oh God, what was it? Um, Clear Channel had something to do with the tour. They had something to do with like how much money I was being paid and they weren't giving me as much as I initially was like offered or something. And it was out of, it was kind of out of everybody's hands in Dillinger. And they went on Headbangers Ball and just like name dropped me a bunch. And then like Clear Channel had to be like, all right, fine. We'll pay him what he was initially, you know, like like, that's how cool they were. And it was because they've been literally or legitimately really liked my music and wanted me there. And so therefore that got me a lot of fans because I was like a legitimate part of this big tour where, you know, Dillinger fans are very open-minded, you know, that type of music. I mean, if you think of the, that, that EP they did with Mike Patton from Faith No More, I don't know if you know that it's like, Oh yeah, sure. They're, they're a weird band. And so I, I guess I can see why, you know, their tour would be like, I mean, like, I would never think you'd be touring with a metal metal act, but I mean, it's yeah, D- Dillinger, yeah. so I guess anything's on the table. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, you know, I wasn't that familiar with, uh, I, I think I've never, I'd never been further from metal in my life, in any, you know, like at that time, yeah. like I was just like very embedded in electronic stuff and, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, I wasn't even doing as many like jazz trio gigs in Chicago at the time. And so um, I was terrified because i imagined like pantera type of environment like people just like you know moshing and throwing crap at me on stage because i was playing something electronic and it wasn't that at all i mean i got so much love from that tour and i gained so many fans from that tour but better than that i think was that i i to this day i think dillinger live like like i remember the first night of that tour i was up on the side of the stage watching them play going like what is this going to be like and afterwards i was like oh my god like what are they? and i thought they were improvising and i thought that maybe i was hearing a weird i thought i was yeah. hearing a weird echo or something and then i listened to their music on like my mp3 player and the in the tour bus and like listened to a little bit more of their music and then the next night you know sat I, you know, on the side of the stage for their show. And I was like, they're playing this all verbatim. Yeah. Like, this is insane. Like, this is like, yeah. this is, this is like, yeah, like metal's version of a prodigy, you know, or of, of yeah. like a, a musical genius. Like, this is absolutely crazy that they can remember these time signature changes and all these things and, and just play everything verbatim. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and to this day, I and their energy on stage. I don't know if you've ever seen them play live, but yeah, I saw them on Warp Tour like forever ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and their and energy is just they like break ribs like regularly from their crazy shows. <laughs> like you'll see these yep. like they've they'll have these images of like someone getting like their the skin in their arm ripped off because they like the guitarist slashed them with the guitar by accident. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least it's always the band. It's never like the fans that get get yeah. hurt. They're just like nuts. Yeah, yeah. The energy on stage the entire time and the whole thing, you know, is a wrap up like somehow, you know, I probably watched 80% of the shows that they played on the entire tour and every single one of them felt like it ended too soon. You know, it's just amazing. And and I'm usually the type of person who's bored at live shows. I'm usually like, (laughs) oh, how many more songs do they got before I could, you know, do do something? Yeah, that's kind of how I am when I when I go to I, I don't really go to concerts much. Because I, I normally want to go and just watch the music. Yeah. I never liked the whole, let's jump around and scream the songs as loud as we can and push people. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, just most of the concerts I go to are metal. So everyone's like shoving each other. And like, I just want to like watch the guy play the thing on the guitar that I like. You know, <laughs> it's like, um, but yeah. maybe I'm just boring. No, no, that's that's sort of where I was heading with things um, or where I was trying to head with things as I was like, but, you know, before COVID, I was trying to push for more seated gigs um, and for more because one issue that I I really had with live performing that was really making it exhausting for me was that if I played in a bar or a club that was like kind of a bar club uh, in America, especially, people are very talkative and that's fine you know like that's how people they go out and they talk to their friends and they talk over the music yeah um totally used to it not insulted by it in any way but i can't play anything quiet like i have to stay at a pretty loud volume if i'm playing at a festival i i'm dealing with bleed from other stages and so i can only play bangers the entire time and that's just not what my music is and my best sets are when there can be a seated quiet audience and I can be quiet with one instrument and then evolve it into something else. And that's when my sets are unique in what I'm playing as in like, I'm improvising everything with loopers and stuff. And then, you know, yeah, will never, that will never be performed or heard again. And that's a, a much more special thing for me and for the audience. And so I was like, how can we foster that and kind of maybe even prioritize money a little bit lower for the experience to be higher? Because I think that that'll pay off well, the following year and you know yeah and then of course like you know 2020 was a horror movie and no shows <laughs> happened so yeah 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 so as, essentially like you you built up your following over the years just by you know playing shows yeah and taking opportunities but only taking ones that made sense to take you know on like you, you wouldn't take a deal just to get promotion but you did just kind of play shows and release music and everything yeah. just happened organically like you didn't you didn't like, yeah. um, I mean, you were signed to a label at one point, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was the, the last label that I was on, like that was actually like releasing full albums of mine was Sublight and they went under. Um, it's an awkward then, situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that was like right at the height of me doing music for ads. And I had enough yeah. money to buy my licenses. And uh, I even bought some other licenses from other artists on the label and then just <laughs> gave it gave it to them and said that you know like that way it wouldn't be like wrapped up in some weirdness um yeah and uh i just released something on my own label and 
the, the only reason I had a label was like, just so I could control my own publishing and stuff like that and get both sides of like the, yeah. the publishing. Uh, and so it was a nonprofit label. Like it wasn't hmm. basically. And, and after that, I kind of helped for a while. I helped artists with manufacturing. Like I had some, you know, contracts with like manufacturers and stuff where you could get CDs made cheaper and um, things like that. And so I would basically just almost hold independent artists hands to like get off the teat of a record label and yeah. distributor because they don't need it and that's all there is to it is like you know once after yeah. 2010 labels just became completely almost completely like irrelevant unless you are only catering to like genres where people shop labels and see all the artists that are on the labels right yeah and so which now is like a Spotify playlist essentially is what that's turning into. Yeah. There's a lot of online labels that they're literally just like, they have a bunch of playlists and yeah. they'll sign artists on a one-off basis on like, mm -hmm. you know, we'll sign you for this single or a couple singles. And the only thing the label does is put them on the playlist and take 50%. Uh, yeah. Mellotron is a company that does that. Uh, there's a lot of them now. I there's... just fucking lit them up too. Cause they, uh, <laughs> I had now they I one song I gave that they wanted an album and they offered decent money for it. But I was just like, no, like I'm not giving my help. But they they licensed one song off of my SoundCloud where they're like, can we put this on Spotify? And I was like, sure. OK, uh, and for like an upfront amount of money for like a two year contract or something. And the contract is only for Spotify. Sure enough, this last video, I get dinged for using the song on the Spotify copyright management system or whatever yeah uh by them and they don't have the right to do that you know and i'm just like yeah and i just like <laughs> lost it it was like three in the morning I'm just like i want to go to bed i'm so angry that i have to deal with this right now like this video could be released right now but you know i have to wait yeah now. Like, it was just but oh, they've damn. resolved it so yeah <laughs> yelling on twitter <laughs> companies involved very fast in problems that would otherwise take months even <laughs> even like when you have no one on twitter like one time delta that the airline um i we me and my girlfriend bought tickets to disney and like for some reason on the way back they just put us in separate aisles and yeah like so we weren't sitting next to each other and we were like we we bought these tickets four months ago like the plane yeah. wasn't full like oh we don't like let people pick their seats and like but we bought them together and they wouldn't budge. Yeah. So I literally just tweeted at Delta something super sassy, like, you know, um, you know, thanks Delta for like making me and my girlfriend sit apart in the plane, even though we booked the tickets four months ago. And then I yeah. got a, a DM from like a customer service person and they fixed it. Wow. <laughs> like, and a we, lot of times I get the DM, but it never actually like translates to. They, the they, they like actually went into the thing and they like adjusted our seats. And, you know, this was only an hour before the flight. I sent this tweet out and they like yeah. fixed it. And I was amazed. And like, I don't have a big Twitter following now, but then I think I had 43 Twitter followers and yeah. they still cared that much about their public perception that. Yeah. Publicly huh. shaming a company. It's um, interesting. Yeah. I, I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever done it with an airline. I, a couple of years ago, I did run it. I was booking flights for, for other people. And I did run into an issue where I got basically like, I bought a one-way flight or I bought like, no, sorry. I bought a two-way flight and I only used one way, but then they essentially were like, no, now you have to pay a different 
you have to pay like a surcharge over this. And it ended up being like a thousand dollars and something else. It ended up being oh. this like massive amount of money. And I just sued them. Like, <laughs> like I was just like, I'm going to sue you. And they're like, okay, sir. And I was like, okay. And then I went to like the magistrate court in here in Marietta and filed a suit. And, like, and they, they immediately were like, here that's, you go. That, that's such a baller move. Like I, I can't imagine. I can't believe you actually, actually did that in a $70. Can we go to the courthouse? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, unless it's like over, I think the what's yeah. the limit? Thousand dollars, something. Yeah, if uh. a company like, I don't understand why people just don't sue the hell out of companies all the time. Like they, they I, sue I, the I hell always, out of each other all the time. So I, yeah, like I always do. Like I, I've I've gotten to the point where I've been like, it, where I've threatened it, and I've been like, on Monday I'm going down to the the county magistrate court and I'm filing suit. Do you understand? And then you know eventually it gets like resolved Sunday night. But yeah, I did that yeah. with the gym. I did that like all, all sorts of like. like so, so spoiler alert to anyone who interacts with Ben, don't piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, like obviously if it's like a copyright infringement thing, it's a much more expensive and time consuming thing. But like yeah. when it comes down to like an airline overcharging you or like. Yeah, you know, or like like, like if your cell phone company or cable company's ripping yeah. you off. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of people just roll over and and take yeah. it because they don't think they can do anything. So, I mean, you're you're not wrong. It's just funny that. Yeah, small claims court's incredible. It's such a good thing, and, and a lot of countries don't have it. Like it, it's pretty. It's huh. I'm not sure if Canada does. I think England does. They have like a, a weird version of it. But yeah, it, it's like it's an American privilege to like go to a court where lawyers aren't allowed, where like they just yeah. look at paperwork and then deem you know <laughs> one person right and one person wrong. It's like our own like Judge Judy. Yeah. Oh man. That's 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 the funniest thing I've heard in one of these live streams, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, th but the thing is, is like, you know, Delta Airlines or whoever it is, T-Mobile or, you know, whoever, uh, how much would it cost them to fly somebody to represent the company in court? You know? Oh, yeah. And they're just Way like, sh just here. Yeah, it's going to be cheaper yeah. than dealing with this. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, before, before we talked about that, um, oh, yeah, I remember what I was so... So, so that's kind of how you, you know, you forged your musical journey. Um, yeah. Obviously, times have, have changed, you know, over the years and how people get started. And um, if someone, you know, 19 years old comes to you and they're like, hey, I make great music and I want people to hear my music. How can I go about getting more people to hear my music? What would you tell them to do? Um, so I think there's like there's two different types of people who ask that question. And I think yeah. one of them uh, is very interested in just, a, a, it sounds bad to say, because this is a very fair thing to be interested in, it, it, attention yeah. and money and, you know, and like all of the things that come with, uh, or I guess all of the things that stereotypically come with being a professional musician. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the there's a person who just really loves making music and no matter what the circumstances are as long as they're making music they're happy um at least yeah. you know that that's what they think and the first person my advice is almost always like you need to just get into something else <laughs> and like and and dj yeah. as your side gig like there's there's no jumping into music professionally as a strategy to make money or to be famous is is a very bad gamble. Like it's just yeah. not a good thing. Jumping into music because you love making music is an obvious choice that 
there is very few reasons why you should not do that. And so like <laughs> that, that's like the first step is like, why do you want yeah. to be? And, I, I, you know, there's a lot of those people in, in that kind of category one. And yeah. I don't think they realize that if they're looking for like a get famous or get rich quick scheme, they probably couldn't pick a worse industry to do it in. Yeah. Um, oh, mu- yeah, music, right. like as you mentioned before, like when budget gets cut in like marketing, the first thing they get cut is music. When the budget gets cut in a film, probably the first thing they go is music. Um, yeah. When labels start making less money, the first people to get shafted are the artists, not the managers of the, the yeah. label. And um, Yeah. And uh, and I don't even know where I would tell them, like, where's the easiest way to get famous, but I assume. <laughs> probably I mean, like TikTok now. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> go do really, memes like, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like Twitch streaming, like uh, things like that. That's you can you can move a lot faster than you can uh yeah i mean in terms of just like gaining followers it's a lot quicker than than yeah. being a musician being like listen to my music that i've just started on my journey to make you know like <laughs> nobody wants to hear it and so yeah that's the issue um but yeah on that other end i don't necessarily want to say that like everybody should do things the way i did like i i don't i don't have like the the ben jordan method of like telling everybody to fuck off if they don't offer you enough money Um, I don't think that works for everyone, but I I do think that like consistency is really important in, in, in consistency and just always being like, if a show doesn't work out or if an album doesn't work out, or if nobody listens to, you know, if you make an album and you push it and you you work really hard and nobody listens to it, uh, except for your mom, then that's okay because you made an album and you liked making an album, otherwise why else would you make an album? Like, so that's that's kind of okay. And when you think about the financial, when you think about the financial side of it, um, the, the landscape's gonna change. I mean, in my career, the landscape's changed probably four times, completely, like completely yeah. decimated one landscape, <laughs> new one, like- When you, when you got started, like professionally, I mean, iTunes wasn't a thing yet, right? No, no, yeah. So uh, I got started, my, I had albums out before Napster. So like <laughs> yeah. MP3 players were like not even out yet. You know, it was like this thing. And um, yeah, you had a CD and that was the only way you could really listen to music. There were like some really dorky people like trading MP3s on news groups and stuff. But I mean, we were talking like, you know, they also had like a ham radio in the room and stuff. So um, <laughs> there, yeah. So once Napster came around, um, and once iTunes, I, I got really freaked out because iTunes, when it began, it was curated by Apple. Yeah. And, and it curated generally my entire life meant I'm not part of it. You know, I'm not part of the the, the thing because I made weird music that like, yeah. you know, it's curation is not necessarily, I, I'm just not a big fan of curation in any art form. I'm, I'm, I think that it, yeah it's pretty restricted it, it so. makes sense for like pop music and hip-hop i guess because it's Maybe, like yeah. the people who are into that you know they're looking for like whatever the best tracks are they don't care about the artist they just want to hear a bunch of singles and but, right yeah. but i mean in like metal and electronic the non-poppy electronic music um or like you know anything other than the norm i feel like it's just kind of sure silly you know to, to gatekeep yeah. when the whole point of a genre is to be kind of like diverse and unique and and expressive yeah. curation just kind of kills that whole point. And it comes down to like a critique of like who's curating it too, you know, which is yeah. always, um, and you know, Apple Incorporated is curating, like yeah. who could be more in touch with like, yeah. You know, so um, 
but then they ended up kind of opening the floodgates uh, and then it kind of became like the tune core CD baby get pay to get your music on iTunes standard, which is absurd. And like if if yeah. I were king of the USA, I would make that illegal like that would that would be like, I'm sorry, if you want to have a music streaming service like you should be required by law to manage your own uploads like that's, you know, that's kind of a. <laughs> like you know like, yeah good it, it yeah. does seem kind of messed up that like it, it would almost be like you know on youtube right now you upload your own videos you monetize it yourself and you get the money yourself imagine if a, like, all of a sudden they said we're not going to let creators upload videos anymore you're going to have to go yeah. through like TuneCore and pay them yeah. to upload every video like that's yeah. that's what music distributors do and, and um, it's, a, it's it's a fuck ton of money like it's yeah. it adds up like if you look at my discography and the amount of time that i've I've renewed albums on TuneCore and stuff like that <laughs> TuneCore is the worst too like in terms of yeah, cost it's, it's it crazy. goes into the ten thousands of dollars like it's a lot of money um and and so that the only benefit to that that i think is <laughs> it's it's interesting and i don't know how in an ideal world that that i would fix this but the only benefit for that is that it does add a tiny bit of like uh, risk for somebody to upload yeah. something. So they at least like will only upload things that they believe in. Otherwise they're just throwing money <laughs> into the garbage. Like they, so that yeah. way you just don't have, I mean, cause Spotify is already flooded with nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of like, like SoundCloud. It's, it's, there's a lot yeah. more trash in SoundCloud than there is on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. Generally. Right. Yeah. And copyright infringement and all sorts of things like that. And so, um, yeah. I, I do think that that's kind of it reminds me like way back in the day, like when email spam first became a problem, uh, the federal government had talked about a email tax and everybody was like tax. I don't want to hear anything else. And it was like, no, 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 no. It's like a fraction of a cent. But if you want to send a billion messages, it's going to cost you a hundred million dollars hmm. for every American. It's going to cost them like $3 a year to send emails. But yeah, you know, it, it will basically make spam illegal unless hmm. people want to, you know, pay a buttload for it. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I guess that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, now companies, I guess, pay for autoresponders anyways. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I have a, you probably have a mail mailing list, right? Just like every no, other artist. Anymore. Oh, really? I, have one, but I, don't, I don't use it, no. Oh, well, I, I mean, so you, you know how they work, though. You know, you, you essentially yeah, yeah. pay for X amount of monthly messages or you pay per, like, subscriber or, hmm. you know. That's yeah, usually I, I think the last one I just like imported it to Mailchimp. Yeah, <laughs> Mailchimp. I'm trying. It's yeah. It's, it's funny. I think the only reason I even remember the name is because it's an it's an Atlanta company. Um, ah, yeah. But yeah, I've I've stopped with the email <laughs> completely. I've I've I don't know. I just I feel like nobody. I very rarely ever click an email that is a promotional or anything unless i mean it has to be like an item on your steam wish list is 99 percent <laughs> off you know it has to be like something where i'm like well okay i'm in yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's i guess i guess it's 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 really only for this certain type of person and it really yeah. depends what you're doing i mean i don't know if you, you're subscribed to brian hazard's um is the, the color theory guy from passivepromotion.com no. Might have never heard of him, but he, he has a really good blog where he just he literally kind of does what I do on the channel, where he tries some music marketing thing and then just reports on it in like a big blog article. 
Um, yeah. He does an email list where he sends everything every every month or so. It's like how I'm promoting my music this month. And he like breaks down exactly mm. what he's doing. And the second I get that email, I'm like opening it, reading it, going to his blog. And um, yeah, yeah. that's, I guess, kind of where email marketing, I mean, he's not even selling anything either. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's, it's there's a balance. I get a lot of emails from artists who are like, yo, go check out my new song. And it's just, I'm kind of like, unsubscribe immediately you know like what the hell yeah, right this is this is giving me no value whatsoever i don't know who you are i don't know where you got my email um yeah. if i got it from someone i listened to um, even then i might not even click on it because i probably already know they came out with the song you know yeah yeah <laughs> um so do you uh do do you think like the bulk of your music i guess music slash youtube living is that uh is that made from like the instruct the courses that you sell essentially uh yeah so the the most of what i make through like online stuff it's a combination of consultations and course sales okay um and then there's youtube ad revenue and then there's sure. you know other things as well sample packs blah 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 yeah yeah that's cool yeah yeah um yeah I've, I've been like wondering a bit lately I, I i found out that like some of my material my youtube material well, shockingly, like I've heard this more times than than I would ever believe uh, that some of my YouTube material is being used as like uh, in college courses. It's <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. watch this. You, you have to watch this as your homework or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, and, you do have some really good tutorial videos on yeah, your channel. Like, and, yeah, some of it actually gets pretty dry, right? And like actually gets like down into the weeds. Well, that's why it's good though because like you don't, you keep it like interesting, I think, you know. it's, it's Yeah, it, I try to, yes. It doesn't feel like I'm watching like some boring like tutorial. It's it's like, you know, you drop some jokes in there and you, you keep it, yeah. keep it entertaining enough. It, part of that, um, well, I'll go back to that in a second, but um, the, uh, and I've wondered how I felt about that because like I didn't go to college, right? And I, I, I yeah. dropped out of high school. And so I'm like, hmm. huh, like now this, <laughs> all of a sudden now this, this industry, this college, you know, this cop, this education industry is very, very interested in me and happy with me. But you know, when it was like scholarship time, it's like, look, <laughs> look how the tables have turned. People are learning yeah. from you in colleges and you didn't even, yeah, but no, I do, I do work with some college. Like I, uh, next a week from Monday, um, like I'm, yeah. I'm starting, I'm teaching a, a, it's like a temporary class at a college in Sweden that, you know, things oh, like cool. that uh, yeah. are cool. But yeah, uh, but yeah, actually going back to what I was saying about, um, sorry, what, what was I going to go back to a minute ago? We, <laughs> uh, about we talked about the email stuff. You asked me about the courses that I sell and then you mentioned. Yeah, the colleges. Uh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, well, I wish I could <laughs> rewind our own stream and be like, oh, well, where did I? Yeah. Um, well, on, on a side note, um, Oh, man, now I just forget what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how do you feel about people who go who want to go to college for music, like to Berkeley or to full sale? Um, God forbid, full sale. <laughs> I, I have a friend um, who lives in London who is part of a, I guess, part of like a jazz scene there. And um, and she's a she's like a sax player. And she, yeah. she was part of the jazz scene there. And she's kind of she's like a good friend of mine and she's been one of the people who kind of i would bounce ideas off of when i did my sexism in music video oh, and yeah. and she, and she was a big spark for that because like she had experiences that she wasn't in the video but she she had experiences that like actually 
you know, made me dive deeper into certain avenues and stuff like that to figure it out. Yeah. And she mentioned that there's like a lot of, she posted, uh, you know, she posted a meme on, on like a private Instagram story that was basically a, a repost of somebody complaining of a, of a female in England jazz who's involved in jazz and somebody complaining about how nobody will explain modes or scales to them or things like that and that it's sort of like a boys club where these you know rich straight white men are the ones who have this knowledge and they like gatekeep everybody else from it and and i was like hey i got a pinya on this like coming from south chicago like i was the only white person in that jazz scene down you know like i grew up in a very very like but white people are a minority where i grew up right they still yeah. are where i live now and yeah. like and and so i'm like this is really interesting because i never really thought about this like yeah berkeley is very its own jazz scene that exists all on its own it's well it's a yeah it's it's white people playing jazz where, it, where it's like, you know, it, it comes and So not to like get to, uh, this isn't like a woke thing or this isn't like a, a racial, uh, it's not even so much a racial thing as it is a cultural thing. And yeah. so like, there's, there's like this like expensive highbrow white jazz. And then there's like the traditional, you know, Coltrane, Herbie Hancock, jazz, jazz. Yeah. So, um, so I'm not, it's weird because I, I used to think like, yeah, like Berkeley, that's a good school to learn jazz, I suppose. And, you know, but at the same time, it's like, are you though? Because like, you know, <laughs> like. Well, a lot of people that go there, they either, they're not going, you know, they're going for their, for whatever instrument they choose. And I think a lot of people have this vision that if they go there, they'll meet the right people. They'll meet serious musicians they can collaborate with. And then yeah. other people go for audio engineering and other, other niches and stuff. But sure. um, it's kind of. I've never talked to anyone that's like really felt like they used anything they learned there. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, so, I mean, let's say you go to Berkeley and uh, let's say you go to Berkeley, you don't want to get involved in music education. You don't want to teach at Berkeley, right? You don't want yeah. to teach at your community college or anywhere. You, you want to work in and you want to be a jazz musician or a whatever musician. And you go to Berkeley and you come out on top of your class. Uh, well, where are you going to go? Like what? what scene are you going to now enter and dominate in? Cause there isn't one, you know, like, yeah. like you're not gonna, Oh yeah. Now you're going to all of a sudden join the vibrant jazz scene happening in 2021 <laughs> in America. Like it's not a thing. And so there's no money yeah. to be made by the people who are already established in it. Uh, and as long as that's a realization when you go in, then fine. But like, you know, people watch the movie whiplash and they think that like, the big successful show at the are you, are you familiar with that have you no, seen no, that no i've never but, seen it oh it's a <laughs> it's a jazz drumming kid who like has like uh, this asshole teacher and yeah but you know it, it's it's a recent movie it's a really good movie you should watch it, by the way it's awesome but uh yeah, you know it, i think a lot of people are like he's just trying to make it you know and it's like no though there's nowhere to make it like you're gonna be playing like you know cultural centers yeah <laughs> stuff like that's that's like who books these shows there is no there's very very few grimy jazz clubs left in the country unfortunately but yeah hmm. yeah and like i guess if, if you wanted to be you know like a rock guitarist or something or an like a crazy talented electronic musician it's like they don't even teach that at those those schools i mean there are schools that'll teach you yeah. music production in a modern sense like uh, 
I forget what it's called. A friend of mine teaches at it. It's it's in California, but they teach like Ableton Live and music production mm-hmm. to make like bass music. And you know, he's like my the, my friend there teaches as well, like taught people who then become successful EDM artists. Um, yeah. But even that, I would I would like say like I don't know. It's it's there's nothing in music I feel like that you can't just go do yourself. Yeah, like Mr. Bill has a pretty successful Ableton, Ableton class, Ableton workshop thing. And I mean, I'm, I'm close enough to he's like a, a pretty straightforward person. And I'm, I'm friends, I'm close enough friends with him to where I feel like he would have told me if people were very unhappy with it or something. And he seems to have like just a bunch of really happy, inspired students. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I I've never taken the course and I'm, I, I, you know, so I can't really personally endorse it other than saying that like Bill's a good guy and, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's probably, and people seem to like it. Um, yeah. But so it, it's, I, I guess I just can't say that everybody is the same in terms of how they learn. Cause there are people yeah. like, like I just learn really good by burying myself in something usually by myself um, which right now I'm actually, I'm, I'm struggling with, like, I was just actually hitting up some unity developers cause I wanted to learn how to like do some game audio functions and stuff. And, you know, usually yeah. that's something I would just Google and bury my head in the sand and, you know, just come out a week later and know it. But, yeah. uh, I was like, no, I think I need to like pay somebody to, you know, yeah. share a screen with me. And, and <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's. Uh, are, do you do like any kind of development stuff on the side, or like you just done it for fun, or is this a completely brand new interest for you? Getting into like, oh no, um, I've done I've done some game game music before, and you know okay. just things. Yeah, I've done jobs, and things evolve. Yeah. Um And and so things evolve so fast that like all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're using this entire new system now, and also. I mean, I, I kind of like I jump from thing to thing, and so a lot of times I, I literally feel like knowledge leaks out of my ear when new stuff comes in you know it's like, yeah like, yeah i used to know i used to know how to you know execute this python script that would do this and i, I could do that really good and then i learned about <laughs> gators for the last video and, you know, <laughs> now no, your head's all full of gators yeah now i know gators and like <laughs> yeah i i used to know how to script contact libraries because i, oh, yeah. I made contact libraries for my uh web store and haven't done it in a year so could not how do, do it what is that language? KSP. Uh, yeah, yeah, KSP. Contact hey, do you have the book? Do you have the book with like the the weird half naked girl on the front? No. The KSP <laughs> reference library. I, I, I have the one from Native Instruments. That's just like the the standard oh, okay, like, yeah. manual. Yeah, there's there's a super rare book that I have <laughs> that it has this girl like just this like sexy young girl on a bed with a laptop and it's just like the cover of the book and it's funny because i've had it out when i was like actually paying attention to like ksp and using contact a lot more yeah. um i always had it out and people are always like what are you reading like, like an erotic novel at your desk it's actually like the nerdiest music thing in the world yeah literally it was like the, the most like yeah like nobody would ever but i i think yeah. that, i think that was from contact three so it's probably yeah i learned in contact five so it's a little yeah little different i don't know i actually don't know if ksp has really they they uh, add even contact six added like wavetables and they added like a wavetable function like a set of like wavetables um commands but aside from that it was exactly the same i I bet you it's this 
been almost identical since contact three. I've moved on to like, I've, I've sort of tried to like be moving things to Falcon, um, to UVI uh, yeah. Falcon. And that has Lua scripting, which is like ages, you know, like just so much better in terms or so much more efficient in just term, not even yeah. efficient. What's the word I want to use? Just easier to learn, like just easier yeah. to like get from, to write a generative sequencer, you know, it would take like a few hours, whereas <laughs> I feel in, yeah, in contact, it would take a very long time. But. Yeah. No, that's cool. Didn't know you did that stuff. Um, so try to switch switch gears. YouTube. Yeah. Completely yeah. different thing. Um, right. You have like 70,000 followers on YouTube um, mm -hmm. and you talk about a very diverse set of topics. Everything from like synth and gear tutorials to um, why aren't there any female producers or why are there so few female producers to bashing yeah. NFTs. Um, <laughs> and everything in between. So, like, did you have the same approach to your your YouTube growth as you did your music? Kind of just I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what I want and kind of yeah. just push it out. Or was there like a, a solid plan that you you did? For? I, I think so. And you know, it's funny because I feel like there's parallels that um, that exist that are, are funny in in a lot of ways. Like, for example, uh, with music, one thing I would notice is I would write an album, and there'd be like one song where it would be it wouldn't be like a piss take, but it would be something that I made in like a day, you know, I like had it mastered by the end of the night or maybe two days max. And then there'd be another song that I literally spent a month on and hired an orchestra for <laughs> and like all these other things. And the writing in, in that orchestra song is, you know, in my opinion, way superior. And I put so much time into it. And when you look at like the metrics of what songs people like the most, the, the one that I put no effort into is number one and the one that I put the most effort in. I think that's actually yeah. on Spotify now. I think my number one Spotify track is like probably the worst piano track I've ever written in my life. Like <laughs> is, it, just, is it watching traffic? Yeah, yeah like that traffic? track is pure shit. Like that, that like I'm so embarrassed <laughs> that, you know, like I was like, what was I thinking when I made that? And now it's like number one. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's yeah, funny. Yeah, like, and so that carried over into YouTube beautifully. Like, like that same thing where like I'll my number one video I think up until recently my number one video was just me opening VCV rack for the first time and like doing a screen recording of it and a couple slight edits I literally made the video and it's shortest I've ever spent on a video and then yeah. you know if you dig deep into like the videos that only have like you know, 5,000 views or something like that. It's me levitating things with audio. And like, <laughs> yeah. somehow that's not interesting though. You know, <laughs> somehow yeah. me opening VCV rack is way, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I've had that happen. I feel like it's just kind of how life works sometimes. You know, like my, my most, my two most successful songs on, on Spotify were probably yeah. the two I spent, I wouldn't say the least amount of time on, but like two of these, I guess, easier songs to fall out. Like they were some of the more quickly ones that were ever done. Sure. And then the yeah. ones that I put the most work in and was the most confident would be the best end up being the worst. Um, yeah. It's almost in every because, case too. Yeah. It's like maybe, <laughs> maybe there's actually some sort of rhyme or reason to that. Like maybe the things that just appeal to us very quickly to where like, yeah, okay, this is a wrap up. And then the other stuff where we kind of that we, you know, we dig yeah. our own hole and like, we, you know, you can't really expect everybody to like follow you into those places. And so, yeah. um, but with YouTube, I kind of, I think I was like, I'm going to cross over into science a little bit and I'm going to cross, I'm going to like get out of the audio review zone and, um, and, and do that. And that was like kind of the plan from the beginning is like, 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn with the reviews and then I'm going to kind of slowly, you know, break out of that shell because mm-hmm. I, cause I do feel like the audio review YouTube is already covered and, you know, and I don't think I can yeah. do a better job than Lou pop. I think, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. people who, you know, there's people who are just brilliant and they do it perfectly. And there's yeah. like, if somebody's sending me a product and I'm going to Lou pops video on it that he made a week ago and then learning about it that way, like then they shouldn't be sending it to me. They should be sending, you know, like then. Yeah. Should, yeah. I mean, his videos are like insanely detailed and yeah. Yeah. Like he's they're so incredibly clear does. and, and you know, there's a million, I don't want to say clones of him, but there's a million people doing, doing content around the same pieces of gear. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of saturated in a way. Yeah. And it, and it, it's funny cause I've told like, uh, his name's Ziv and like, I've told him, uh, I met with him at NAM and, uh, in 2020, and I told him like, that was my first and only man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I met with him and I told him like, uh, since then I, I, I told him like, you know, I, I really like being able to make the more artsy and personal gear things because you do this already. Like I, I can always, I have no problem pointing to your channel being like, if you want to learn more about the menu diving, then like he yeah. does it, he does it better than I do. And I'll just, you know, try and use it in my own way. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I wanted my channel to kind of break out of that. And, yeah. you know, same with the music. It's like, I feel like the videos I put the most effort into, I feel like they get the most praise out of ter- in terms of like the comments are all like, wow. But then the viewership and everything else is is below, you know, something that that is mediocre. And so uh, yeah. I don't know how to get I don't know how to get around that. Um, I've thought about leaving YouTube altogether as part of that like in terms of like uh pitching pitching series to pay networks but i've kind of Hmm. decided to hold off on that for a while for at least a year before doing any more before meeting with any more you know like networks like i I mean not gonna like name the exact name but like hulu is an example of like a network Hmm. that would pick up you know a, a series and give it a budget um so yeah i guess i'm just sort of feeling things out right now uh yeah and, yeah <laughs> and and i feel differently all the time you know like right now the last thing i want to do is like make a big video thing that takes two weeks just because i just finished one right and so but yeah yeah in a week i'll be like all right let's go record sound in a cave or you know whatever it is so yeah because <laughs> yeah, you don't really follow uh i mean like i upload vid- i try to upload videos twice a week recently it's been once a week just because i'm busy yeah um and, you know, last year I did t- twice a week. The year before that, I did it twice a week. year before that, I did once a week. year before that, once a week. And um, you don't really do that. You kind of just, it seems like you kind of just make a make a video and release it. And then eventually you, you feel like you can release another video. Or is that a, a wrong impression? Do you, do, you, in, do you have kind of like a schedule? In 2020, I, I stayed pretty close to once a week, um, okay. at least from like, february onward like i finished an album and then went yeah. full and hard youtube and uh once my patreon started i that was like part of me telling my patrons is like this frees me from being a slave to the algorithm essentially like this way yeah. you'll be replacing ad money and now i can spend more time on a video that that's meaningful to me and and yeah that's worked out great. I think, I think that that's like a really, a really good thing. Um, and I don't even know what slave to the algorithm means anymore. Cause I'm not <laughs> sure that YouTube really 
does like, like I feel like a lot of people think that YouTube prioritizes you if you upload once a week over people who upload once every two weeks or something. But I think that they've changed that pretty drastically. Um, It seems to be that if someone is watching a lot of your videos, um, they'll get recommended more of your videos. That's that's pretty, pretty much the whole algorithm. Like if someone, if someone watches um, in terms of watch hours, more of your content than anything else, you'll get recommended your content more than anyone else's to that person. And um, so I guess if they've consumed all your content, and they haven't watched you for two weeks because you haven't put up a video in two weeks. I can see why that would hurt you. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if YouTube has, like, what, what's the time delay you'd have to disappear for, for them to f- kind of reduce yeah. your ranking? Like, is it like a week? Or is it two weeks? Is it a month? I, yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Do you even want to know? <laughs> no. Like, yeah, because that's, that's just... It's anxiety. It's like very anxiety-inducing to, if you yeah, have that I'm, number. I, I'm... I'm trying to like encompass what it would be like to hire an assistant. Um, yeah. And that, that's where I'm at right now because I, I think that I would, yeah, I don't, th- I, I think that I would get a positive return on it in terms of like my time being spent a little bit better and, and less yeah. with, you know, doing things like invoicing, you know, or, you know, th- whatever, whatever it is that's like. Do you edit time. your own videos? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that's something I can't, at least right now, that's that's not something I'm willing to give to somebody else because I feel like I'm very, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like editing a song or something. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. it's my it's my video DAW session, and I just like race through it with my little like Black Magic controller here. And um, <laughs> yeah, how is that I, thing, I, by the way, the Black Magic controller? So oh, is it great. worth it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when they sent it to me, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it for some reason I thought it cost a thousand dollars. Yeah. And it doesn't. It costs way less than that. I think it's, what, 300 or something? Um, I don't know. I, I remember I looked at it at one point and I was like, yeah. I don't want to spend this much for like a, what's essentially like a dedicated. It's being editing. able to jog and then just like hit a button and jog and hit a button and hit. I mean, it's, huh. it goes so fast. Yeah. Oh, to think yeah, about 100% it. 100% recommend <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you're talking about the speed editor, right? Is the. I, they have a few systems, I know, but yeah, um, I, I think it was that jogging thing you're talking about. It's got like some buttons on it that you are mapped to your. So I mean, I use Premiere Pro. Yeah, I don't, this thing is what I'm talking about. Yeah, little, yeah. And so that's that. I'm pretty sure you can use in any editing software, right? Oh, I wonder if it works with Premiere. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it did. Um, or there was have, a way to map it. Do you have GPUs on your machine? Uh, I'm using a Mac for my main machine, although I do have oh. a, I, I built a PC that's like here. So I have a Mac and then a PC. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it like a gaming PC? Do you have? Yeah. Yeah. So it has a yeah. decent, decent GPU. Um, have, you or, tried, yeah. have you tried Resolve on that, on the gaming PC? No, no I've only tried on the Mac. I mean, it's like, like, cause I started with Premiere 2 and I went to Resolve and yeah. I had GPUs for like uh, deep learning stuff and rendering and like Resolve just like, automatically recognize them and i mean it's crazy like i'll have like a green screen layer uh with like a title sequence with like a bunch of like film grain effects and stuff like that and i feel like in after effects or premiere that would have been like a very long i would have had to like (laughs) do a ram preview you know or something yeah i could like yeah with in resolve like using the gpu i could just like like back and forth play it five times speed to like race through it faster and stuff yeah it's it's wow 
the real deal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. But I'll have to check out Da Vinci again then. Who yeah, knows? definitely. Ben's gonna yeah, t- take me away from that Adobe train. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I'm also like it, your your videos look good. Like you have you have good like it looks like you're spending time color grading and stuff. And so whenever yeah, I see a video yeah. that's like color graded well, I'm like, well, they're probably using Resolve because like oh yeah, you know, I, I do it all like in that that um standard for color grading. Yeah, so it's like. So the, the way I do it for the, at least the streams, um, actually the way I do it all the time now is I used to edit my videos in Premiere entirely and I would output like a log format from my Canon into the yeah. editor and then I would color grade in there and then I eventually saved a preset. And now I, I film all my videos in OBS. So okay. I like right now in, in the Zoom call we're in, I look probably super muted and gray. And that's because in OBS, it's I have a lot that I copied yeah, from yeah. Premiere sure. and... Yeah. So the cool thing with OBS is like I don't really have to edit my videos much anymore. I kind of like I click record and I try to like mostly one take things and I just cut out some chunks in the middle and you can kind of almost perform video transitions and hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I have a, um like on I have the Blackmagic 6K and it you could load LUTs on there and you have like a LUT button so you could like try yeah. them out live to like see what you're but obviously like you can record raw and 6k but yeah. if you have like terabytes and terabytes to use oh yeah another really good thing another really good thing about that workflow uh that where black magic like really kind of like changed the game for me is uh you just hook up a solid state drive to the camera and then dump any other like if i have like a zoom recording audio somewhere else or something like that um yeah i will uh then just dump that onto the solid state drive and then plug it in the pc and i have like my drive is now my editing drive and everything stays there on this super oh. fast little, you know, USB 3.2 drive. And then yeah. when the video is done, I just save the the render and any other thing I might need and then clear the drive for the next video. And it's like super efficient. Yeah. It's That's pretty sweet. Yeah. But it still takes forever. You know, still editing <laughs> is, I can imagine. I mean, and then you, you don't have any of the original assets, which I guess is probably a blessing and a downside every so often. I mean, yeah, I, every every video I've made in the past three years, I have all the original files on like I built a, a PC for like a home server. Yeah. And um, it's got like 15 terabytes on it now and mm-hmm. it can go up to like 70 or something. And it's, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I have uh, and that ended with the Blackmagic 6K. Like <laughs> when you get to 6K, that's that's that's. Uh, yeah. 6K raw. Like um, there are some videos I did where my SSD got full. And and I had to like get another one, and I mean that's and my SSD is two terabytes, so it's like halfway through a video, and I've already used two terabytes of data. It's just it's a little that's, over the top, but that's I yeah. I my my camera can do 4K, but I still yeah. just film in 1080 because yeah, I still render to 1080. I don't I don't bother with. I mean, I I might if I had fiber, I, I, just because it's all about the upload speed, and it's just like oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uploading a fifty gigabyte file is just like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, it's no, that's a, that's a pretty cool workflow though that you're doing it all through OBS. That's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I used to have to like record the screen and my camera separately and the audio separately, but now it's all just baked into one file, so I don't have to like deal with like a sliding animation for the like a screen overlay and then have my face in the side and. And deal with yeah. like having multiple streams of video. It's just, you know, I have a little controller where I just click 
if I want it to be, um, you know, full screen my face or half screen my face and half screen screen or like screen most of the screen and my face in the corner. Um, and then you essentially just kind of perform the transitions. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the end, you just cut all the bad takes you do. You know, so I might start out a video and be like, in this video, I'm going to talk about how I got X, you know, ran this, you know, do whatever you're going to do. And then sure. I might do that four times. And then yeah. um, the next thing I do, I'm, I know what I'm talking about, but I just improvise it and do it until I get a good take. And then all my editing process is cut out that chunk, cut out that chunk, cut out that chunk, cut out that chunk and just yeah. smash it together. You go to the last time you say the beginning of a sentence and then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, it takes like, I can edit, you know, uh, essentially if I have a, an hour long video, like one of these, um, yeah. I mean, these take almost nothing um, just mm. because we just, I take the whole thing essentially. But if I, if, let's say I had like a 20 minute video, it might take me uh, less than 20 minutes to edit. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. As long as I don't, uh, I do forget stuff though. That's kind of the downside is because I don't often have to watch the whole video. I might forget to uh, edit out something where I like awkwardly start a part over <laughs> or something, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, editing things like the swamp video, obviously, because I probably had like four different cameras, five throughout the entire process of that. So it was like, yeah, cameras, external recorders, all that stuff. Um, Do you have someone helping you for that? No. It's no, literally no. just you out in the swamp. Um, my I got my parents a cabin near the swamp in a state park. Uh, to watch my dog and just in case something happened um yeah that was almost and and it was like yeah it was just like well you guys would really enjoy this anyway and so um but it's funny because i had them and the nearby state park on radio and i radioed them when i got stuck and nobody responded and i was like cheers <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> so yeah, i like I, I i i cut that segment out of the video but there's like a good like half hour where i'm just like trying to like get somebody on the radio to <laughs> come tow my boat back to you know back to the oh man area. that's but, terrifying yeah. well, i got it working so it all worked out fine yeah man I, I i have some rancid sunburn though like my god I've I've never been sunburned before, and you've got, never been sunburned before. Yeah, and I got sun poisoning. Like wow, um, yeah, I got it like really bad. I was sick from it too. <laughs> so yeah. Jeez, how the hell did you never get sunburned before? I don't know. I mean, I've like been to the desert, topless, and all sorts yeah. of things that would get me sunburned. If, but, if you were like I don't know, like super dark Italian or something, I'd yeah. say. But you're you look you know relatively about as pale as me i think maybe a little less yeah, no, pale than i'm me. pretty yeah i'm pretty i don't know i'm, I'm like <laughs> olivey sort of but yeah. yeah i have no idea but i got it real bad this time i was just and it was funny because i was just like i don't know what to do like what do you do with sunburn i have blisters and i don't know what to but yeah uh yeah, it was it was an adventure but yeah yeah <laughs> It, stuff like that's so cool though you know when i get done editing those videos i'm like man this life is great you know like got to go hang out with gators and do all these exciting things like that's really fun yeah um, but that, that's just, cool you, you can kind of just go and do these exploratory sound things you know whenever you i mean you, you like you do music full-time right yeah. like, or music related things full-time mm -hmm. um yeah. and so you can kind of you have the freedom to i mean just go to a hangout of a swamp to record some cool sounds it's that's like awesome um, yeah. Yeah. And like I said much earlier, like I, I've been trying to like figure out a way how I can leave Georgia 
and do almost like like what would be the best way to make a to make three of those videos all in one big trip yeah that that you know one big seven thousand mile trip or something (laughs) like that uh which i'm okay with because i've toured coast to coast you know probably over a dozen well over a dozen times and um yeah, and so I, I, now it's just sort of like I probably need an assistant. Like <laughs> I, think, I think I'm just working way too much, and like I, I just need. Yeah. So yeah. that's my next, you know, something. It's the next oh. adventure. So I, yeah. I just kind of like I guess a quick question, and then we're, we'll go and just do some Q and A, and then sure. and, uh, and call it a night. But last last big question, I guess, is out of all your various income sources in music, like what's kind of leading the pack? And I guess just kind of mention other ways that you, you kind of are able to monetize all your different, different things. Um, music, I do mean music alone, or are we like, are we counting the YouTube thing? I'd say any, anything related to your music, whether like, so YouTube I'd say was related to music because you're talking about either music gear, music industry kind of stuff. Okay. Um, music for the, for a while, it was actually Spotify. It didn't oh. have to be Spotify. Like, like I could have also worked on more ads and worked on more things like that um, and maybe beat Spotify. But yeah, I, when Spotify was paying much higher than they are now, um, I literally was just like, well, I'll put more time into albums because it's paying well and, it, and things yeah. pay off in the long run. And so that was nice. Um, I would say like, again, like even mentioning it, even when ad composing was making me money and when it was like super lucrative, I still would never recommend it to people because I think a lot of people, at least in like, you know, between 2000 and 2010, I would, I would go on tour, I would meet other, you know, meet a lot of other recording artists and they would always say something like, yeah, I thought about getting into ad or ad composing, you know, just make some quick money easy. And it was like, you have no idea how competitive, like, (laughs) the industry like if you think yeah. like touring is competitive wait till you like enter the ad industry and other artists who are legitimate have like you know two different phds in music and can like <laughs> write any genre instantly and play 18 different instruments and you know um that that's who you're competing with in that world and so yeah. it seems like it's easy money but it's not in terms of you know the actual competition um so nowadays as far as making money from music, I, I used to be 100% gung ho, like quit your day job, go crazy, be, be, you know, be nuts. Um, and I don't think I'm like that anymore. Now I think it's like, just always make time for music. Like, like if, if, if you could choose between two jobs and one of them, you can make a hundred thousand a year and one of them, you can make 50,000 a year, but have time for music. Then like, you can still live very, nicely on $50,000 a year and be happy because you're writing music rather than, you know, working at a job you don't want to, it becomes almost, you know, more of a thing of like, what kind of life do you want to have? Do you want to be happier or wealthy? Um, But beyond that, I think that there's the big, big problem is how little most musicians or artists in general know about money and finance. And I say this as somebody who got like a hundred thousand dollar check and put it into a checking account and left it there and like bought a lot of shoes. Like that's cause I grew up in like a poor area and I just, you know, the first time I got a big payout, 
you know, the biggest payout I've ever gotten in my life all in one, you know, time. Yeah. I had no idea how to spend it. And I got audited by the IRS. Like they thought I was dealing drugs because it was like a check from Canada. And so <laughs> I got audited and like, uh, yeah. And I, I ended up just like DJing for cash in Chicago for six months while I was being audited because all my assets were locked up. Um, and I think that's my biggest regret now is like three years ago, I bought a house. And yeah. the, the moment I entered, the moment I started buying the house or started that process and learning about it and all that, I was just like, why didn't I do this 15 years ago? Like, I am so <laughs> dumb for renting as long as I did. And I'm so, you know, that that's the yeah. real, uh, and, and from that point forward, um, it's so many other like the even like bigger artists like mr bill like i i essentially like bullied him i, I constantly yelled at him to buy a house like i was like buy a house buy a house i don't care where it is buy something <laughs> you know you have extra money right now spend it don't like keep it stagnating because yeah. you know money is uh money is not valuable when it's stagnant it's valuable when it's you know like I mean, the velocity of money is a real thing if and, you just um, keep money in a checking account i mean it loses like three percent a year just by yeah, not sure, being right. in like a yeah. tangible thing either like either you know investments mutual funds stocks bonds or like a house you know yeah yeah and a house is like the no-brainer for a musician i think because yeah you can have a studio where you're not, you know, typically you're not connected to somebody else, at least in America. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the biggest area that I run into is I have a lot of musician friends who live in LA or Portland or New York. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, they're like, no, like just this generation can't afford houses. And it's like, well, in 1980 or 1970, that generation couldn't afford houses in Hollywood or Beverly Hills. You know, yeah. like that's they had to move out to the suburbs or they had to move somewhere else. And that's the reality of it is like a lot of people, they just don't want to leave a city that they live in in a cool city yeah. for, you know, and and that's understandable. But that's my biggest the biggest thing I always press. If, if it's not a house, just learn how money works. Spend yeah. time doing it like goodbye, even if it's thing, like the GameStop thing, <laughs> yeah. like. You know, that was so depressing because it, I, I was amused by how many people I heard like mansplaining how shorting works to me or other people, like how margin trading works and yeah. getting it wrong in their explanation. Like they they had no idea what they were talking about, that they were like, nah, nah, check it out. This is how, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then now with the NFT thing, I think that's why I had such a dog in that fight is because I'm very, very familiar with blockchain and crypto and I've been investing yeah. in it for ages. And like, you need to make supplemental income. It, if you're a musician, if you want to die on a mattress, <laughs> you, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of artists seem to be pretty bad with, with money. And um, I mean, it's, like it, it's also complicated. I feel like the, the tax part of being an artist or any kind of like self, yeah, self uh, business, like uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, like you work for yourself, you know, you, yeah. you have your own business. It's really complicated when you, when you start diving into what you do for taxes, it's like, it's stressful. And then also since you don't have an employer forcing you to like, um, they're not forcing you, but like encouraging you to contribute to like a 401k or, or having you have a healthcare plan or whatever other benefits your employer has. It's like, yeah. you're not being like pushed into the direction that someone working at like, you know, a big company would get pushed into. 
and for years, I would say, you know, get get an accountant who know, like, you know, just make sure that you put aside some money for an accountant when tax year comes and have a professional do it. And I did that. And I had an accountant uh, in two years, my tax accountant didn't file my taxes just and then vanished. And it was like, <laughs> I, it, it, there's actually a name for the scam. And it's actually quite common where you just have an accountant and they tell you, no, wow. I got it all taken care of and sign here and sign here. And then they just deposit the money into their own account. And then I had to like go pay back wow. taxes. I was just oh, like, geez. okay, well, I have to learn how to do my own taxes. And once I learned that it was, it didn't, I mean, it took a week. Yeah. It took, you know, a little bit of reading here and there. And I got all my deductions and I paid surprisingly much lower than I thought I'd owe. And yeah, it's, it's not. Wow. Um, but, but I think the big problem, and this happens with athletes too, you know, it's sort of the same thing is like in music, you don't really get paid in this slow and steady way. You, you, you generally get paid. You have these moments where you sign a new contract or where you, uh, land a deal with somebody, you know, something like that. Um, or where yeah. you get paid up front and you may have to recoup it if you don't sell enough, especially with record labels and things like that. Um, right. And so learning how to take a large sum of money and spread and, and essentially make money from that and, and spread it out is, is not something that we inherently know. And it's not something we yeah. learn in school unless you, you know, go to like business management. I don't even know if business management school would teach you that like probably not <laughs> yeah and there and there's a lot a lot of incentive for nobody to know what the fuck to do with money there's a whole bunch of incentive you know yeah. like the, there, there's a lot of people who who do very well because people have no idea um what they're doing when it comes to finance and yeah for sure i mean it's i mean college uh college loans are kind of a, a, a kind of a you know you have people who oh, are yeah, taking out sure. like seventy thousand dollars in loans for yeah. a degree that has no potential of paying it back they're kind of preying on that person's dreams and um the reality that they don't know anything about um money you know they're, they're, they don't realize yeah. that taking out this loan for this big thing that has no chance of paying it back is a horrible move um yeah and it's like an 18 year old who is not had any education whatsoever with money them and you know at this day in this day and age like they may have a little bit more because at least the game stop thing happened so they heard yeah. about shorting you know <laughs> like whatever like and they've, they heard, they've heard of like dogecoin. dogecoin going up by like a factor of five in like two days yeah i'm watching i'm on one of my screens here i actually have the live dogecoin chart. what's what's it at right now 30 yeah. okay i i sold most of mine uh yesterday oh, I, and I shorted it um I shorted it and uh, traded it back at 27. So I, I bought in at like 43 and traded back at 47. I, huh. I'm all anti-confidence. I'm all like, this is going to fail. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can, I didn't even know you could short um, crypto. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. You can short crypto. Um, the more popular ones, but you could also... It was funny because I actually had to work a bit. I did like do some pancake swap stuff to like short... Uh, dogecoin but you could actually now there's doge bear which is a literal it's it's just an inversion it's like an inverted dogecoin essentially like it just yeah. it's minus you know whatever margin they're taking i don't know the details <laughs> of it but yeah it's, oh man yeah finance stuff gets comp like deep and complicated I'm, I'm not like super in that world i i know enough that when i see like a valuable company doing bad i know like oh i should i'm gonna buy some of this because like they're going to yeah. come back or, or like, 
you know, I try to diversify investments. And when I saw, I bought Doge and it was seven cents because I was going, Elon Musk is tweeting about it. It's going to have its day yeah. <laughs> where, it's, where it blows up. And so I, I made like a couple grand in the past few days on yeah. Doge, which was nice and sold out. And who knows, maybe I'll be the, that idiot um, in 10 years when Dogecoin is worth $50,000 or something that's, that sold all his Doge, but I doubt it. You know. I had two thousand bitcoins at one point, so go oh, ahead. so you, yeah, you were you I, were one I of those well people. Over, I had well over a hundred million dollars in today's oh, God. today's bitcoin. Uh, man, that's but, you know that's, that's the worst. Not, it's funny because I did read somebody. I, I read some thread somewhere. I was like on Reddit or something where somebody was talking about uh, that they mined and bought some Doge like you know two years ago and then they sold it like a year ago for a little bit more than what they paid for it and everybody's like you're a fucking idiot and it's like no he's not like this is a meme currency like yeah like the fact that he sold it is like a good move that most people would recommend at any state of of it's like you know yeah (laughs) i mean you you can't predict the future i mean yeah people kick themselves for all sorts of investments but really like that's like yelling at somebody for like playing blackjack and breaking even and not wanting to play blackjack anymore and going, you're a fucking idiot. The next guy had a blackjack. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's 2020. Those people are just being jerks. And I mean, it, it doesn't, it still hurts when you, you know, I mean, I, I remember I almost bought Facebook when it had its IPO and yeah. it would have, whatever I put in would have been worth like 15 times more, sure, which is kind yeah. of a bummer. And like, there's a couple other times it's happened where I've like almost hit the buy button on something, but I was like, Oh, you know, at the time I was working at like Starbucks and I'm like, I can't really yeah. afford to invest in things and just didn't. And, but it's like, you know, you can't predict the future. You don't know. Yeah. And I think that like, I mean, loss aversion is like a really, really powerful psychological thing that drives people to make absolutely terrible decisions. Um, like one of my favorite examples of loss aversion is if we're in a casino and like, let's say that you put a hundred dollars on a roulette table and, and we're just standing there and you put a hundred dollars on uh, 38, right? And, yeah. uh, and it lands on 42. How upset from one to 10 are you going to be if that happened? Uh, I guess an eight, cause it's very close to 42 or 38. Yeah. It's only off yeah. by four, right? Okay. Now let's say that I, I was like, all right, well, yeah, roulette's fun. And I was like, oh dude, check out this synth on my phone and you know, whatever. And, and they roll it again. And then it lands on 38 when you didn't bet on it. How upset are you now? Oh, for very upset because now it's yeah, like right. you you just had it on, then you took it off, you stayed in yeah. one more round, you would have made it. So you're more upset when you didn't lose anything than you are than when you lost a hundred dollars. That's the yeah. fallacy of loss aversion. <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't work mathematically. It works very. It functions very emotionally, and so yeah, it is true. I mean, like, there's a lot of investments that 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 kind of mentality has probably saved me from over the years. You know, oh, I want to buy this, and then you don't. And then, and, you know, in reality, if you paid attention to it, no one really talks about the companies that like tank, you know, they, yeah. they talk about the people who are made millionaires overnight because Bitcoin like exploded or whatever. Um, yeah. So. And, and there's always, there always has to be a level of humility too. Like, like you're not like people who think that they're gaming the system. I mean, people think that Dogecoin is gaming the crypto world. And it's like, you're not gaming. Like, who do you think you are? Like these, <laughs> there's people who like, like I've, 
in, in, even in doing my NFT video, I talked to enough people who were like Ethereum developers and stuff to where like their intelligence just blew my mind. Like they knew more than I could ever hope to know about that world. And it's like, and, and you think that, you know, you're going to get one up on them in this? Like, no, they're way <laughs> ahead. And then yeah. even more so in like the GameStop thing. It's like, you guys are going to try and like, you're going to burn margin traders. Like these are multi-billion dollar firms who like that. You're yeah. not going to burn them. They're just going to end up putting more leverage on the bottom. And then you're just going to make them a bunch of money when they crash it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Doge is actually 23% one uh, broker. 23% one broker. Yeah. There's a oh. whale. Yeah, 23% of Doge is just one wallet address. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's why I shorted it. I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna short this, but yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I saw it go up and then start going down, and I was just like, there's no way this can go on forever. You know that. It got to 420, so. Oh, <laughs> did it? Yeah, it, it? Yeah, 42069 was, uh, yeah, that, that for, was for the For Doge Day. Yep. Yeah, so it did it. But, yeah. Uh, Other than that, though, uh, I mean, uh, there are good cryptos that I think aren't really that huge risks. Like, I think they're going to yeah. bounce around 10% consistently, but I think they're always going to bounce around 10% and get higher and higher as they do it. And, like, like I'm a big fan of Tezos. Um, that's, like, a big... Uh, when you actually look at the white paper and the support that has, um, like, BMW is, is training hundreds of developers on it to, hmm. to use for like self-driving cars. It's perfect for things like NFTs and for it's perfect for yeah. things like digital contract development, things like that. Like that's a coin that's not going to fall apart, you know, during a bear market. That's a, you know, that's like a, a blockchain that's going to stay consistently growing no matter what. Um, yeah. And it has a lot of brilliant minds behind it. And I think France- Does it, is, it doesn't uh, destroy the environment like all the other ones. Yeah, not nearly as fast, at least. But yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I've, uh, I, I minted an NFT on a Raspberry Pi with one, um, just to see uh. if I could do it just out of because when doing my video, I didn't actually do this segment, but I was going to mint one using solar power. Um, huh. that's interesting. And, but yeah, you could. I minted one just using a Raspberry Pi three, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really weird, and uh, I don't you know I don't understand it as good as I wish I did. But the people who are in it, I feel like, don't understand it even more than I don't understand it, and yeah, that kind of makes me nervous because, I mean, like I've I've a I am I'm pretty technologically savvy. I mean, like I have a master's degree in engineering, and so like okay. I'm looking at like the people who are like ma explaining this on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this, but I know you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a real interesting thing with me, too, because like I've I, I, a lot of the misconceptions come from like TikTok explainers, which is yeah. like my fucking pet peeve, man. Like the people TikTok to me, this is another reason why I need an assistant, like somebody to basically like somebody who's younger than me who can be like, oh, I know I understand the TikTok thing. I literally fall asleep scrolling through it. I got it because I don't get it. Because yeah. to me, it's either like really bad advice, um, somebody like intentionally injuring themselves, somebody faking intentionally injuring themselves, or the worst of all is somebody discovering something that already exists that everybody already, that everybody at least my age already knows about. And then yep. it's a life hack. 
Like, dude, <laughs> check this out. Two pieces of wood. If you take this this nail and you take this weird thing and hammer it, you could get them together and then you yeah. can build something. It's like, yeah, we already knew that, though. A, like, a lot of TikTok is getting stuff that's on YouTube and making it short. Yep. That's yeah, what a lot that of too. a lot of TikTok is. I mean, I guess like Vine and I guess, you know, it was a different version of this. But the thing with TikTok, since you have a minute, it's like yeah. you can actually there's a lot of like education content now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of those channels are basically becoming becoming like mini YouTubers where they're making like series of one minute videos that. Yeah. Uh, and they're and, and I feel like it's just a race to have as much content as fast as possible. Yeah, it and, is. <laughs> And when it comes to something like explaining crypto or, you know, stocks or something, it's like there's a lot of room for error. And those errors cost people a lot of money. Um, And so, like, part of me is like when you look at a market, when you look at something like Doge or when you look at anything like that, and you see that a huge influx of people are coming from that world that, like, I have this disdain for. Um, My immediate thing is like, you're not allowed in this space. You're stupid. But that's such a shit way to look at it. Like. No, they, they probably should know. And that's why I made my NFT video. I didn't make it just to like piss people off. I made it because it was yeah. like, it, there's, there's a fork in the road right now. And we're all headed towards the proof of stake system one way or another. We're headed there. Like Ethereum 2.0 is that. Like we're all mm-hmm. going there. So why would we go here instead of there now? Like, and in that time, we can actually speed up the, the process of moving actual full blockchains over to proof of stake, which will save the planet a whole lot of carbon. Like realistically, yeah, yeah. Like that will just be a very good move. There's no arguing that that's the, not. The issue that like I, the, the reason why I think NFTs are kind of like silly is that yeah. people are kind of, they're selling something that is infinite by putting an arbitrary limit on it. Yeah, most no, yeah. Time. I mean, like, you're, you're, you're getting a file creating. that you can make infinite copies of and saying, no, 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 yeah. you own this file. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're creating this, like, artificial scarcity, but not really. Yeah, um, Yeah, and it's, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I don't, like, think it's necessarily bad, but it just, I don't know, it just feels kind of st- stupid to me. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't fully... I think it's like it's something that nobody's ever asked for. But that being said, the one way, the a way that I've, because I always play devil's advocate, and and I was trying to yeah. like really think of like how would this be functional for me, in a way, like how how would I actually be able to see the light of day on this, you know, see, see like some sort of of positive spin of it. And one thing I thought of is like the amount of people when I play a show somewhere, and if I like go out to the bar after my performance, the amount of people who want to take a picture with me. I kind, of, mm-hmm. I kind of thought of that as like they want like the reason they do that is is not because, you know, I make them look good or bad. The reason, you know, um, it, the reason they do that is because it's just a special one of a kind thing that they have that, you know, yeah. is memorabilia for the show that they saw. They're not taking the show home with them. They're yeah, just, yeah, they're taking like a memory of the show. Unique home with thing. Them and so I, I tried to think of it that way. And I guess it could make a little bit of sense, but. Like yeah. just the fact that we're paying gas fees for it is just like what? Why? Why in the world would you do that? Like it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. But and, and it it sucks because I'm like getting more and more disdain for artists who are continuing to do it. Who you know are people that I otherwise respect a whole lot. I'm just like, 
you know this is wrong. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no like like I understand maybe in like February. I could see how like somebody who wasn't familiar with crypto would be like, have no idea that like NFTs were, um, NFTs on Ethereum were, you know, the, a pretty wasteful thing for energy yeah. and for you know, money. But now there's like, everybody knows <laughs> there's, there's no <laughs> yeah. more two to it. Like everybody yeah. knows. 